0: Amen. Howard, thank you. Give it up for Howard, if you would. I always, uh, I always appreciate the time to interact with each other and uh, to just talk about really, really important things that sometimes we don't always get the chance to talk about. And I was thinking about the song earlier, uh, Walking on Water. I was thinking about, so, you know, the scene in the Gospels is uh, Peter sinking. And uh, here's, here's a cool thing, and I don't know if I've ever made this connection with you, but this is like a cool aha moment. So Peter's sinking in the water, and he cries out, Lord, sozo. That's, that's the word. Lord, save me. We're in a place that I believe God is using to help people drowning. Drowning in really disastrous relationships, drowning in anxiety, drowning in depression, drowning in hopelessness. Uh, I was thinking about that, and uh, I get to share that with people every week here at Sozo. They're like, What's the name being?" And all this, I don't go full Jesus right away, but I go, it comes from the Greek, <laughs> uh, to, to, to save, to rescue, or to make whole. And so when Peter's thinking, you can write this in your Bible, find the place in the Gospels, Lord Sozo, save me. And so isn't that Cool awesome. So, all right, let's pray and go home. Uh, no, let's not. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter one. It's good to be with you. Um, Acts chapter one. I was thinking this, this week, boy, how important this, this time right now is in Acts and, and what I believe the, the Spirit wants us to learn. And, and here's, the, here's my prayer. My prayer is that uh, we would cast our sails to catch the wind of the Spirit today. Now, I'm I'm saying this because of what Jesus says to Nicodemus in in John 3, where Jesus says, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. And uh, now, when you look at me, you don't think sailor. You you don't look at Scott and go, that guy has nautical skills like crazy. You don't don't think that. But I have been sailing three times in my life. uh, And here's the amazing thing with sailing. I've been twice on a sailboat and one on a catamaran. And none of the, the, the ocean vessels I have been on have had a motor or engine. They all are moved by the power of the wind. Now, the first time I was ever on a sailboat was uh, I was in high school, and a couple of us guys in high school went out with this dude out at Lake Pleasant, and we thought it was like, this is gonna be awesome. And it was, it was amazing to watch the process of hoisting a sail, recognizing where the wind is by what's happening with the sail, and then having this, the, the wind just, just carry you. And, and years later, did it on the ocean, and then just recently did it in a catamaran. And doesn't matter the vessel, the fact was that the power of the wind in moving a, a vessel with people on board, it was, a, it was amazing. But it... it I can't tell you, you know, if I could do it by myself, but watching the process of people casting the sail and harnessing the power of the wind was amazing. And I think about our lives and how we're like those those vessels where in and of yourselves, myself, we don't have motors to live the lives that God wants us to live. We're entirely dependent upon Him. Kind of like what you were just talking about, right? True freedom is surrender, true freedom is releasing control true freedom is even if you've got that little tiny troller motor on your on your you ever seen those little things like you don't have to have a big huge hefty you know five thousand horsepower engine on your boat some of us try to get away with god with having this little trolling motor on there like god just let me have a little bit participation participation in my spiritual life and god says get rid of it don't bring your own little trolling motor. Don't try to bring your 5,000 horsepower motor. You have no engine in and of yourself. Your life is entirely dependent on the wind. And, and my thought was, what is necessary to recognize this, this wind? What, how do we catch it? How, do we, how are our lives moved upon still water, rocky water at great speeds what, what are the things that help us harness the power of the wind? Well, this is exactly what we're going to talk about this morning as we finish the chapter uh, 1 of Acts. So turn there in your Bibles. We've, we, we've spent four weeks just in chapter 1. So now you figure it out for 28 chapters how long we're going to be here. We're growing old together, so get used to it. I love you guys. Um, the, the, the disciples are anticipating the, the, the promise of the Spirit. And I think what we see in this, this section of Scripture today are things that are important for us to learn on how to harness the power of the Spirit in our lives. And I'm I'm really praying, I'm looking forward to what God would have to show us because it's going to be continued on into, into the book of Acts. So again, as introduction, uh, we're going to see more of this come to play in the book of Acts. And what I'm praying for is more of us... Living yielded lives to the Spirit, learning how to catch the wind of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, to walk according to the Spirit, to see the fruit of the Spirit grow in us. And, and the gifting of the Spirit uh, work itself out in our, our relationship with one another. So uh, a lot of fun stuff. So turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to finish out the, the chapter starting at verse 12 through 26. Uh, we just saw the ascension last week, which marks 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus spends 40 days confirming to hundreds of people that he, he did exactly what he said he was going to do, which is awesome, isn't it? It wasn't like just one quick, hey, we're going to grab some some breakfast together, all right, go out and change the world. It was 40 days of appearing and confirming that his not only his message was right on, but but his, the work he came to accomplish, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and now his ascension. They see him be taken away in this cloud. He disappears. We talked about last week what that means, coronation, exaltation, uh, the inauguration of the kingdom, like all these cool things. But now, that 40 days leads into 10 days of waiting. Pentecost. Fifty days where they celebrate the festival of the of, of, of weeks, the feast of weeks, which we'll talk about later. There's this 10-day interim. Now I don't know about you, but you know, it's 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 easy to fill those times when we're waiting with stuff. I don't know if you've had to wait for something, whether it be hours, whether it be days, whether it be wait weeks, but sometimes it's just hard to stand still. It's hard not to plan, it's hard not to, to fill our lives with just busyness. And I love the fact that these disciples spend 10 days, I believe, doing things that are instructive for us. And what were those things? We're going to look at four things this morning as we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Let's read the entire section, and then I'll go back, and we'll talk about these, these four important points. What were they doing before Pentecost happened, this great outpouring of the Spirit and the promise and and work of God. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, right, which is where they saw Jesus ascend, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, a place very familiar to them, where they were to stay, that is Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas, the son of James. these were all there with one mind, and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren and the sisters, because they were all there, right? Mixed group. A gathering of about 120 persons were there together. So this is a good-sized room for 120 people to be gathered. And Peter stands up and says, Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his own wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open into the middle of of this field and his bowels gushed out. Now that's a great verse to stop and just meditate on. No, we don't want to. Okay, this is one of the R-rated sections of scripture, right? So Judas hangs himself, the tree busts after his body had become so bloated, it fell and was dashed upon the rocks, and there his guts were all hanging out. No more about that. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem that in their own language that field was called Akeldama, which means field of blood. For it is written, so this is Peter still speaking, that the book of Psalms, and he cites two Psalms here, one from Psalm 69, one from Psalm 109. Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no man dwell in it, and his office let another man take. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. Isn't that a cool name, right? What's your name, Justice? Um, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, O oh Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show us which one of these two has been chosen to occupy the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place. And they drew lots or cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts today. So what, what's going on in this scene? So there's four things I want to I talk to you about. And, and this is how we prepare for great works of God in our life. Number one, the biggest thing we see at the start of this section is the fact that they prepared their hearts by obeying. Look at verse 12. They went back to Jerusalem. Uh, from Jerusalem to the room where they were called to gather. Why? Because Jesus told them to go back to that room and wait. Can I just, this is kind of one of those uh, no duh moments, right? Like if you want to, to be prepared for the work of the spirit, you have to obey Jesus. There's people who want God to work in their lives and they're not obeying Jesus. I mean, it's, so many of us want to like, debate Jesus and his word. Like, well, his word says this, but he really doesn't mean that. Oh, really? What, what, what does it mean? Jesus hasn't come to accommodate our lives to whatever we want. He is called to lay down the ethics of the kingdom and for his followers to adhere to those ethics. And I love the fact that the first thing we see is the disciples, you know, Jesus ascends and what do they do? Well, what did Jesus tell us? to go, go to the room and wait. What do they do? They go to the room and wait. Can I just tell you right now? There's nothing more precious to your Lord than a heart says, your will be done. Amen? How important is it for us to obey God, not out of duty, but out of delight, if this is what the Lord wants, this is what we shall do. So they go back to the room and I'm going to tell you about this room. This room was significant. This is the room where they celebrated the Last Supper with Jesus. This is the room where Jesus told them that the promise of the Spirit was going to come upon them, John 14, John 16. This was no just random room. This was the room that served as a headquarters, not for their, only their time with Jesus, but even their time preparing for the coming of the Spirit. So this is a precious place. And so there was no other alternative in their minds than to obey Christ and say, you want us to go to that room? We'll go to the room. If you want us to wait, we're going to wait. And they go and they do it together. And can I tell you, obedience is always sweet when you do it in community. Too many people, too many people I talk to and they're like, yeah, I don't go to church and I always think this is interesting. Like I, I love Jesus, but I'm not part of a church. I go in my mind, I go, that's an oxymoron. Sometimes I just want to say moron, but I I throw, oxy cleans it up, doesn't it? Oxymoron cleans it all up. You like that? That's good, huh? Um, Here's the thing. I talk to people and they're like, my faith is private and personal. Can I just say something really just ballsy right now? If your faith doesn't involve others of the faith, your faith is stupid. Can I get an Amen. Now that's just that's in-house conversation, right? You don't you don't want to go to work and be like, "Hey, remember what you said to me last week?" Well, you're stupid, right? Like you don't want to do that. But your obedience in following Christ is enhanced; it is encouraged when you obey with other believers who also want to obey. These disciples didn't go back to the room alone. There were 120 of them, who all locked arms and said, "We're going back." Because this is what the Lord has told us to do. And we're going to go back and we're going to do it together. I can't tell you how important this is, you guys. This is why there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. This is why you need one another. This is why there are people who are going to throw all sorts of excuses and smokescreens of, Oh, my faith is private and personal. Listen, the Spirit will produce the desire to be with other believers. If the Spirit isn't producing that, you're hiding from something. If you think your faith is private and personal, this is more about you hiding something than it is about you like, well, I don't want to be a part of something that's organized, you know, organized religion. That's where I always say, you know, we're so disorganized, you want to come hang out with us. This is a party here, right? Trust me, I, in my own family, with my own dad who, who claims to love Christ, I'm like, Dad... You need to be a part of the local church. You need to be a part of other people and and involved in their lives. And guess what? It's messy. It is messy. You don't go and find a perfect church. Why? Because the moment you step in, you ruin it. So don't go there. You find an imperfect one, miss you, right? Hey, Lord, save us. so We're all drowning, right? We're all in the same ocean. But we've got one Savior, and we're focused on that together. And so we get to do this together. So the disciples obey, point number one, because accountability, encouragement in the faith is, is needed to obey the will of God. It's so one of the things why we talk about small groups. This is why I appreciate like Howard coming up here once a month and encouraging us to, to interact with us. You know, the, we always say there's people that just dread it, right? I sit there and go, Why? What are you going to talk about, like, you know, sports? What are you going to talk about, the weather? Like, what is more, what is better to talk about than the things that are important that have eternal value? Because if you're not doing that here, where are you doing it? And and I'm going to tell you right now, if if you're avoiding community, you're avoiding something God wants to deal with in your own heart. This is not about anyone else. This is about you. Right? And people will find all sorts of excuses. So I praise God for our community time. Howard, thank you for, for leading that. And I, and I want to encourage you all, you have to journey with other people. And if you've been a Lone Ranger, today's the, the, the invitation where the Spirit's saying, be in community with people. Set your expectations aside as far as, well, they've got to be perfect, or they've got to have all the answers, and they better not offend me. Guess what? It's going to happen. Right? Spiritual gift sometimes is an offensive person in your life, and that's okay, right? We we sharpen one another, right? So we get to live life together in all of our messiness. Can I get an amen from, from... so they go back together to the room? Notice number two what they do. They prepare their hearts by praying. Praying. This this sense of communing not just with God but with one another in one spirit. Praying, this idea of, of, of communication, this, this idea of even not talking and, and having silence. They're praying for 10 days. This is awesome. Like, when was the last time you went to a 10-day prayer meeting? When was the last time you went to a 10-second prayer meeting? That's, that's what I'm curious about, right? They prepare their hearts by praying. Look at verse 13. So they entered. They went to the upper room where they were staying. And then Luke gives us this, this kind of like this short list of who was there. 120 people, all the original disciples. 11 of them, minus Judas. But notice who else was there. There's there's Mary, last mention of Mary in the New Testament. Mother of Jesus, she's there. Look at the the siblings of Jesus. The ones who thought he was mad were there. You know why? Because the resurrection changed them. Even Jesus' own family thought he was crazy while he was here but they were witnesses of the resurrection they were changed so this room of 120 people and they come together and they're unified first point under this they were devoted to unity meaning a lot has changed since the last time they were together you remember the last time when the disciples were together in one room they were fighting over who was the greatest there's none of that here. They were, you know, they would often fight about who, who's sin, who's sin, who can we blame the situation on, right? There was a lot of like pride, there was a lot of self-assertion, there was a lot of blaming, none of that here. You would think that the disciples have learned a lesson. And when you come together and you're devoted to unity, meaning this is not about who's greatest, this is not about who's sin, this is about a great God we have just witnessed. Not only risen, but ascended. Prayer is something that infiltrates every chapter in the book of Acts. You you, you want to witness great works and acts of God? You have to be a praying person. This is why when we we look at Acts and we go, oh my goodness, how can we capture what happened then today? Can I just say right now? Start praying, and and let's just be honest, all of us fall short of what we would want as a prayer life. But one of the great things we can start doing is today start praying more. Can you imagine we were We were meeting as a finance team recently, and you know one of the things we were talking about was how we were looking at getting some additional space down the way, and you know people were like, "What's up with that?" And you know an appliance store moved in and kind of took over and so now we're looking for ways to sabotage washers and dryers during the week. So if you want to be a part of that revolution, let me know. Just kidding. No, no. Here's what I see. It's an opportunity to, I went down there and introduced myself. Now it's a, it's a missional opportunity to, to love these, these guys who own this new. But, you know, the finance team was like, well, what do we do now? And you know what my answer was? Why don't we pray? Like the Lord has blessed us Financially. Why, why do we have to immediately go, well, what's the plan? How about the first thing we do is just pray and just start praying. And I'm going to invite you into this. Just start praying about what would the Lord want for Missio? To, to, how does he want us to use our resources, our finances, all this stuff? Why do we have to have an answer like that? Can we just bathe it in prayer and just wait so that when the moment happens and whatever God wants to put into our lap, he will do in his time, in his way but when he does it we're ready can you imagine this like that's awesome right so i'm gonna invite you start praying let's be devoted to unity in in this one thing because we all want the kingdom to continue to expand among people we want the kingdom to break into men's and women's hearts and and what what better thing to be unified around right is is preaching christ in his kingdom and, and that's it Right? So here's this room full of men and women, and it would have been easy for anyone to bring division into this room, but, but they're not arguing about who's the greatest. They're not arguing over who's sin. I mean, think about it. It could have been so easy for James to look at Peter and go, deny him, really? Yeah, right? You know, or, or Peter to, to look at Philip and go, you still didn't know who Jesus was? Remember that conversation? It could have been so easy. Thomas, why did you doubt, right? It, it would have been so easy to just have this laundry list of complaints and issues, and you don't see that. What you see is a room of a, of a bunch of faithless people like us, people who have failed in so many ways, come together and still be used of God. Ladies and gentlemen, can I get an amen? Because God uses broken people like us. People don't have it all together, right? People are like, God can't use me. I said, they go, Why not? God can't use me. Why not? Because you don't have your life together. Those are the people God doesn't want to use. God wants to use people whose lives are broken. Because there's a testimony there of his strength working in our weakness. We're devoted to unity to see the work of the gospel bring restoration to our lives. We're devoted to unity to see Christ. Because when you see Christ together, nothing is more important than that. Right? We're devoted to unity. We're devoted, secondly, to understand. You have to believe during this 10-day period, post-ascension, pre-Pentecost, that they were just going, Lord, we're here. We're unified. We're open. We're available. We want, we want to understand. And isn't that part of just, just slowing down and quieting our hearts and just saying, Lord, what do you want me to, what we, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to, to see? What do you want me to hear? See, this is, this is why extended, consecrated prayer is so important. Because you have to slow down your life and give God more than five minutes of your chump change time. Right? You've got you to gotta stop and go, you know, Lord, I, I want to know your will. But God oftentimes is not going to do that in a hurry. And we wonder why we lack so much power or so much wisdom or discernment or direction in our lives. It's because you haven't stopped down to listen. I mean, what do it look like in my marriage if like each day I was just like, hey babe, got 30 seconds, how are we doing? Okay, and I'm out the door. Okay, maybe we'll pick it up tomorrow. Maybe it'll be a couple days, but we'll, we'll talk for another 30 seconds in a couple days. How, how well will our marriage like last and be strong and be encouraged if we don't have that connection? I remember being involved with, with student ministries down at ASU and working with some campus ministries. And it was cool because every time we were prepared to do something at Arizona State University to just reach students and, and something that we would all collaborate on together, we would do these extended just prayer times at, at uh, Danforth Chapel. So I don't know if you about know about ASU, but there's a ch- little chapel that was in the center of, of campus. And we did these things where it was like 72 hours of prayer. And, and we would sign up for like a half hour slot. And for 72 hours, believers filled that chapter for three days straight. Because we wanted God to do something among this, this huge university for the glory of Jesus Christ. Right? Where, where, where's that in our lives? Like we say we want God to do something big, but we're not willing to... Be determined to slow down and listen and, and just commune with him in prayer. Let's, let's start that, especially with something big's happening. Someone's sick among you? We're, we're, we're the prayer warriors. We're the people saying, so-and-so's got a surgery, so-and-so's got cancer. Guess what? Round-the-clock prayer. I'll set my alarm. I'll do the 2.30 2, a.m. duty on praying. Who else is with me for middle of the night? Just set the alarm. Let's do it, right? Can we, because this is, this is not all on me. This is on us. You want to see God do big things? You've got to take this more seriously. Where's the person who's going to stand up and say, let's do round the clock, pr- clock praying. Let's do it. Put me in down for 2.30. I'm good for 2.30. Do, do you see how important this is? This wasn't a time to, to ask, Lord, show us who the greatest is. This wasn't a time to say, who committed the greatest sin? This was a time to unite. This was a time to worship. This was a time to prepare for what was next because God is about ready to do something huge. And when we see the believers in Acts praying, we see God do monumental work in and through them. Now, one of the cool things that happens is while they're praying, Peter is moved by something. In the middle of praying, he stands up because some scripture has come to mind. Point number three, the the preparing of our hearts by understanding. And what are we called to understand? We're called to understand God's word, his will. Can I, prayer and the word are like peanut butter and jelly. Amen? Amen? When you pray, you understand that that prayer is fueled by God's word. Pray the scriptures. Pray the Psalms. If you're crazy, pray Leviticus. I don't care what you do. When you pray, you have to be filled with with the, the word. And what the word does, if you're in the word, the word compels you to pray. And so there's this dynamic at work between prayer and the word. We see this here. The disciples, 120 of them, are praying. And all of a sudden, Peter stands up and makes a connection with something that has just recently happened. And it's about Judas. Think about this. So if Peter stands up. Look at this. Verse, verse 15. So Peter stands up in the midst of the brethren. There's 120 and, he's, and he says, brethren, verse 16, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Now stop right there. There's, there's a lot going on right here. And, and we need to spend time talking about this. Because one of the ways the Spirit works, as promised by Jesus, is that the Spirit is going to bring things that Jesus taught to our memories. If you're not being guided by the words of Christ, you haven't listened to the words of Christ. You haven't deposited the words of Christ in your life. This is why we read the scriptures. Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, all inspired by God. His breath. That's what the Bible says. This is his breath. All scriptures inspired by God. 2 Timothy. Profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. Right? If God's word is inspired, and we're meant to to dine on it, to feast on it, we're giving now something to the spirit to work with. Peter stands up because he has an aha moment. And he's understanding, and this is just, again, it seems so random to us 2,000 years later, it's about Judas, and he cites two Psalms, Psalm 69, Psalm 109. Write those down in your, in your Bible. They're, they're quoted right there. And it has to do with what happened to Jesus, uh, Judas and the vacancy Judas left. Now we're going to get to why this is important here at our last point, but, but we need to stop and consider something about God's word. Two things I want to talk about that ha- pertain to, to this per- particular instance, and it's this. That this is a moment that God has given us to help in our faith. The scripture helps our faith. How? Two things. Write these words down. Brought to you by the letter P. Pro- uh, prophecy. Process. Here's what I love about verse 16. The scripture had to be fulfilled. All scripture is given by God. And it communicates things about God and the way he's working in our world. And every word in the scriptures will ultimately be fulfilled by God. The word is trustworthy. You have nowhere to go other than the word to understand God's heart. To understand his plan. Right? Some of you want to subscribe to Oprah's magazine because you feel like, you know, Oprah is like, no, don't do it. Don't buy into it, right? Like, I got to go see a fortune teller. I got to read my horoscope. We all want other things, right? And oftentimes we want other things to confirm things that we know we need to, to change in our lives. The, the word of God is all you need. Peter says it's, it's, it's all we need pertaining to, to faith and godliness. But here's the amazing thing. What Judas did was prophesied hundreds of years before his actions. Here's the connection Peter's making. Check this out. He says, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. There was a guy named Judas, right, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He's the one who betrayed the, the, the divine king. He took the friendship for granted. He's the one that was counted among us, verse 17. And he received the portion of, of, his, of, his min, of this ministry. This man who, who betrayed the Lord, whose money was used to buy a field that ultimately was, is, was, was where he was buried. This man did not finish his life well. And it just shows you that companionship with Jesus doesn't mean you have relationship with Jesus. But, but here's the greater thing is that Jesus knew. And he still loved him. Our faith is strengthened when we come to moments like this and go, there's a divine plan at work. And what David had written hundreds of years before in Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, these have to do with, with Judas. Even though David himself experienced the betrayal and friendship. Those Psalms are about betrayal and friendship and while they had an immediate connection in david's time they pointed to even a greater plan and that is that judas would betray jesus and you know what this does for me this just tells me like the word of god is amazing now you want to think of something even more amazing than just the connection between the psalms and judas think about the prophecies concerning the coming messiah 300 plus prophecies about the coming messiah Can anyone just name a couple? What are some of the prophecies in the Old Testament talking about the the, the Messiah to come? Anyone want to throw some out? Isaiah 53, it says, by his stripes we are healed. Yes, all right. What else? Woo! Awesome. Isaiah 9. What else? What about where he's going to be born? Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5. What else? Okay, you guys need to get back in the Word. <laughs> awesome. Think about, most, think about Abraham sacrificing his own son. Was that not a foretelling of what was going to... 300 plus instances in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of like a statistic nerd. Stat that. We're going to stat that right now. So if you think about this, How the Old Testament confirms that Jesus was what had been prophesied for for, for hundreds of years. I read this thing about CIA reports. And I don't know about you, but I like kind of like the mystery of spy and, and espionage and stuff like that. Anyone else into that, right? So from a CIA report, whenever a double agent wants to reveal information to the CIA, the CIA usually gives them several layers which to identify themselves so that there's no chance they can get the wrong person. So, for example, one particular Soviet double agent was given six prearranged signs to accomplish. Check this out. Number one, he was to go to Mexico City. Number two, contact a certain guy in the city to let him know he was there and identify himself himself as J. Jackson. Number three, after three days, he is to go to a specific place in the city. Number four, stand in front of the statue of Columbus. Number five with his middle finger placed in a guidebook when he was approached by someone to ask for directions. And number six, he was to say at that moment that the statue of Columbus was a magnificent statue and that he was from Oklahoma. At that point, they knew they had their guy. Sounds pretty specific, doesn't it? That's just six. There's 300 pertaining to Jesus. The statistical odds of being the right person that the old testament talked about mind-blowing this is meant to build our faith that guess what we got the right guy we got the right guy and not only that pertaining to judas was he not betrayed for 30 pieces of silver was he was he not counted among the the band of, of disciples all these things were prophesied in the old testament the statistical odds of any one person fulfilling just six of the 300 plus prophecies is like filling the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and taking one of those silver dollars, marking an X in it, throwing it randomly in the state of Texas, dropping someone 30,000 feet from an airplane, skydiving, blindfolded, and they pick one silver dollar and they get the silver dollar that you marked. Are you freaking kidding me? You're saying, yeah, this word's not important. Yeah, this this is just arbitrary. I give it a couple minutes, maybe every once in a while. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Doing what? Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Why aren't we pouring ourselves over this more? Why aren't we like Peter when we pray, having these words illuminated and going, my heart's rejoicing, my soul's revived. But rather, we're like, oh, what's so-and-so doing? Like, comment, selfie, like, what, whatever. Get rid of this. Substitute it with this. This will never disappoint. You want your faith to be built? You've got to read. And you've got to read with a heart that praises says, Lord, help me understand. Because it's not the prophecy alone, it's the process by which this is given to us. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, there's no contradiction in the Word. The Word is given to us, why? Because it's breathed out by God. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. The wind. Moved men and women to write scripture, and the scripture that you have in your hands is not just some novella written by some famous artiste who knew Jesus from the Middle East or from Asia. This, what you have in your hands, is the very breath of God. Second Peter, Second Timothy, chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. It is God breathed, profitable for everything we need in life. Why do we not pour over it more? Why don't we desire it more? If the Bible is trustworthy, if it's God's own word given to us, how could you not want to memorize it? How could you not want to devour it? How could you not want to be apart from it for even one second? Is the word pulsating through your veins? Is it giving your heart the little pitter pats? Is it guiding your steps? Like the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. No wonder most of us are stumbling. The word not only is meant to strengthen your faith, the word is meant to also sharpen your focus. Because without the word, you are blind. Without the word, you are directionless. This is why Peter makes a connection. At this moment, the Holy Spirit shows him something that needs to happen. You need to replace Judas (laughs) Judas <laughs> seems like an odd thing to us doesn't it like you're going to reveal to me this but but it's 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 Peter saying this is how the words applied to this moment and this is why we have a hope that does not disappoint trust me you guys this week has been filled with disappointment in in all of our lives whether you're a Cowboys fan boo, Cardinals fan oh I mean you get memes like this as a pastor right it's like pentagon hexagon octagon season gone with the Cowboys star right I can handle this kind of disappointment now, right? When you're, when you're a fan of a, such a horrible team, you just, you give up hope, you feel a lot better, right? So I can get texts like this from people and go, I, how about this one? This is a good one. You guys like that. I'll forward it to you guys later, whoever wants it. Mexican word of the day, Dallas. That is, that is Dallas game the Cowboys are going to play this year. Dallas. <laughs> Dallas. Dallas. The only thing that made my disappointment better was the Cowboys uh, Cardinals losing even worse than the Cowboys did, right? I just posted three hundred and fifty old testament prophecies Jesus on the Facebook. Are you kidding me? You're so tax savvy. That's awesome. Here's the thing, if you want, I have an entire list of every prophecy. I have a document and it tells you if it has to do with his birth. If it has to do with his teaching, if it has to do with his life, if it has to do with his death, if, I can get that to you. I'll post it on our Facebook page. Well, if you don't like it, you it. Oh, I won't. You, you, no, we're good. We're, we're good with each other, girl. Come on. <laughs> the last. The last. <laughs> season be gone, right? <laughs> Whatever, season gone. Here's the thing. Our lives are continually, continually filled with disappointment and discouragement. If, if, scripture, if we don't have scripture to help us uh, focus, I can't tell you, just this week, how many conversations I've had with people, non-believers and believers, where God has given me opportunities to take them to the word because their emotions were all over the place. And yet the word, when it is spoken, like, Lord, I, I thank God for giving me those moments where I hear a person and they're going off on this wild emotional train. And I, and I go, can I bring you back to, to the word? Something objective, something that's trustworthy, something that helps. And they, and they, and they walk away and they're like, I feel better. Yeah, why? Because it's not like, you know, go see a counselor. Go watch Dr. Phil. Go listen to Joel Easton. Whatever. You're in the Word. The Word enhances our faith. It strengthens our focus. Peter gets this. And so here we are. We, like Peter, we should look to the Word to make sense of our wor- 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 world and our lives. We are, we are empty without the Word of God. You're going to see this in the book of Acts. So we're called to obey. We're called to pray. We're called to understand specifically the role of Scripture in our lives. And, you know, people will come out, especially in this context, right, like contradictions. Oh, Judas, well, did he hang himself or did he fall out and have his bowels gushed out? Both and. Yeah, we won't go into any the gory detail, but it's both and. See, the moment someone says, I reject the Bible because of its contradictions, you need to sit there and go, list them for me and let's talk about it here's here's the reality you're gonna like this quote guy named frank mead said this men do not reject the bible because it contradicts itself but because it contradicts them and i wonder why if that is why we forsake the word because we ultimately don't want to submit to it i'm talking this week to people struggling in their marriages i'm talking to People this week struggling with pornography. I'm talking this week to people struggling with their identity. And I'm not going to sit there and give them like all this like, well, so Oprah told us the other day. You know, what? No, no, no. Here's what the word says. The word is trustworthy. And we need the word in our lives to keep us on the right path. Because it is through the word that we were brought to our last point. We prepare our hearts by restoring. Now, generally, here's what the word in prayer does. It restores us to who we truly are in Christ. This is discipleship. This is discipleship. You are not fully who God wants you to be. We're all works in progress. Amen? Amen? but we help one another experience his restoration process. Okay? Now, in context, something's being restored to its original integrity. You want to know what it is? The 12 disciples. Peter stands up and goes, there's only 11 of us. We need that 12th man. You know how important the 12th man is, right, in sports? How much more in in faith? We need the 12th man. Why? Because Jesus says, you 12 will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles. So all of a sudden, Peter goes, there needs to be a restoration to the leadership of the early church. Now, this only pertains to what happened at this moment. This is not some divine prescription for all of, of church history. This had to happen in the moment because there was a reputation of how they were going to spread the gospel now to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So there's a restoration going on here. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a restoration going on in our lives, and Christ, he's making us more complete to what we need to be. But let's look back at this, verse 21. The prophecies in Psalm tell us, while there's a vacancy there needs to be someone to fill that role it is therefore necessary peter says in verse 21 that of the men who have accompanied us that someone fill his slot right and there's some qualifications here now let's let's stop i want to talk about two things and this is so so good these disciples are now called apostles let me define our terms disciples are students we're all disciples Amen? We're all learning who's our teacher, Jesus. So we're all disciples. You never really grow out of discipleship, right? Because we're always learning from him who is going to even spend eternity instructing us, right? And, and, and filling our lives. But now there's a shift in what we call these disciples in the, in the New Testament. They're now apostles. What is an apostle? Apostle is a one who is an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ and is now sent out with the authority to tell people about Jesus. Capital A Apostles no longer exist in our world. Why? Because there's no one around today that was an eyewitness of the resurrection 2,000 years ago. Now here's what I want to tease you with. All of us are small A Apostles and that you're sent out to tell the testimony of what the Lord has done for you. So not only are you a disciple, write that down, you're an apostle. Not in the sense, capital A, that you're an eyewitness of the resurrection, but you're a small a apostle in that you are now one being sent out. Here's what I believe is so important for the church to understand, not just Missio, but all churches. You are now not just a disciple learning, you're an ambassador, an apostle, one who is sent out to take a message about a kingdom that's not necessarily, honestly, and and really well represented in our world. What's an ambassador? Someone who represents another country in a foreign context. Yeah. Peter is saying, we have an important ministry to continue because the the, the restoration of the integrity of apostles is, is, is lacking right now. So among the 120 people, they put forth two men who are qualified in two ways. Look look at the text. They are They have been with Jesus from the beginning, qualification number one, and qualification number two. They're an eyewitness of His resurrection. Why are these two qualifications important? Write down these two words: conviction, courage. When you spend time with Jesus and you listen to him, you're convicted. and you're convicted towards positive change, right? Restoration. You're becoming more into the image of what God has designed you to be in Christ. So someone who's paid attention to the teachings of Jesus, and not only that, someone comes along and says, Jesus said this and he really didn't, you can counter them. And say, I was with Jesus, he didn't teach that. This is why any Gospels that came hundreds of years later, like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas, we call them as Gnostic Gospels, they are to be discounted. Why? They came hundreds of years after the time of Christ and no one is there to corroborate or even testify to their legitimacy. The original texts of the Gospel were written in their lifetime. Why? So the veracity of the text can be confirmed by witnesses who say, yep, I was there. I heard Jesus say that. I saw Jesus do that. Hundreds of witnesses to corroborate the evidence. But secondly, they need to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Why? Because what God was about ready to do through this church, they needed courage. And without seeing the risen Jesus, they would have buckled over any amount of persecution ready to come their way. And so they put two forth, forth two men. Justice and Matthias. Because the the restoration of the apostleship needed to be restored. Now, I close with this, and this is important when it comes to God's will. Write down that that phrase. That's one of those phrases in Christian circles. Don't you want to know God's will? I just want to know God's will. How do I find God's will? Have you ever asked yourself about God's will? Well, I'm going to give you a real quick lesson in God's will. Right here. The choice of these two men was not a right or wrong choice. They used their sanctified reasoning to bring forth two men who were supported by the group. No one stood up and said, I don't like justice. No one said that. These were obviously men who had reputation. They had character. They were with Jesus. They saw his resurrection. They put two forth men. This was a choice now that either one would have been just fine serving in that 12th man spot. But what do they do? they draw lots. uh, Proverbs 16, verse 33. Paul's like, is this the right verse? I love that we were talking earlier. I'm like, yeah, this is the right verse. Check this out. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You ever do a thing where you have to make a decision, and especially I do this with my kids. All right, we're going to flip a coin. We're going to flip a coin, right? We do this with movies, Like, one kid wants to watch, you know, I want to watch Shrek 3, and the other one's like, no, I want to watch, you know, Apocalypse Now, or whatever. I don't know what it is, but some of you are like, that's weird, but okay. I'll take the movies behind my back, like if they're on, like, because we do, like, DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff, and I'll go, all right, uh, mom, pick a hand. Both are already approved movies, but guess what? Whatever hand mom picks, that's the one we watch. See, it's not like... You know, one kid's going to be like, oh, I'm a little disappointed. Justice was probably like, hey, I was just glad to be nominated. Thank you. But Matthias gets the pick, right? We have to understand, the casting of lots, this is the last time it happens in Scripture. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Why? Because at this moment, they said, let's just flip a coin. Both are good choices. When it comes to God's will, there's certain things for you to follow, like finding a spouse. Here's what I tell every single person who's looking to get married. There's two qualifications for your future spouse. They're like, okay, I'm ready. Pen and paper. Number one, make sure they're of the opposite sex. And number two, make sure they love Jesus desperately. It's all you need. Some of you are like, it's so simple, but it's so hard. It's so hard. Why? Because the first one, that's kind of obvious, right? Make sure they're of the opposite sex. But the second one is like, you want someone who is maturing in the faith that evidences a love for Christ. doesn't just say it, they evidence it. It's what I want for my own kids. I want my daughter to find a man who loves Jesus more than he loves her. I want my boys to find a woman that love Jesus more than she loves them. Right? Because it's going to save you from, it's not going to save you from a lot of headache. and It's, it's going to save you not from, it's going to save you from a lot of headache and heartache. It's not going to save you from all headache and heartache right? 30 years of marriage next month for Lori and I. What, male, female, love Jesus, and we're trying to figure this out together, and we're still fighting after 30 years over things. It happens. But when Jesus is your hope and your, and your center, it makes any storm worth, worth navigating together. See, this is how we figure out God's will. What does God's word say? The rest, it's up to you job what, what where, is, where does he want me to work i don't know what does he say in his word what does he say about work What if you do work as heartily for the lord you want to be in an environment where you're you're committed to the lord you can you can respect the the higher ups the powers that be right you're going to do your job and you're going to do it well with integrity why because that's where the lord has placed you if if he opens another door he opens another door right so many people try to, they try to nitpick the will of God, and I think they ultimately nitpick their own soul, and they miss out on all the blessings God's already brought to them. Like, this wasn't a, it's interesting that Luke puts us, gives us this passage, and he just says, this is how the, the church worked. They had two qualifications, they put two men up, they, they flipped a coin, they picked one, and they moved on. You never hear of Matthias again in the, in the, in the scriptures. Obviously, an important role to, role to fill, but you never hear of Matthias again in Scripture. But you do know that now the church is poised to do great things. Four things. We're done. You obey. You want the wind of the Spirit to fill your sails of life? Obey the Lord. Stop debating Him. But I want to have sex before marriage! No! No! Keep your pants on, right? Like, just these are. I get a scream at high schoolers in a couple weeks. Guess what I'm going to talk about? Yeah, honor God in your lives as much as the hormones are going crazy. Greater the spirit within you than your hormones that are raging within you. I think that's found somewhere in the scriptures. I'm not sure where. Obey. I can't tell you how many people just don't obey Christ. Obey the word of God. Number two, pray. Number three, fill your soul with continually with god's word so that you have understanding and number four submit to what god needs to restore see in this context it was a it was a it was a part of of their leadership that was missing god's doing something in our hearts in our lives where he's he's restoring something before you even want to move on stop and go lord what am i lacking that you need to fill what, what is not complete that you're looking to make complete? Because he's going to do that before he sets you on a great campaign for his kingdom. And all God's people said, Whew. lots of stuff here. And we've only just begun. Oh, that's a good song from the 70s. Oh, let's stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the body, the church, this community, this family. Thank you for being a God who's intimately involved in our lives, a, a God who is honored by our obedience, a God who, who welcomes us continuously to, to pray and, and commune with you and who's given us your word to direct our steps and guide our actions and, and reveal things about our behavior. And Lord, a God who's restoring us to make us more and more like Jesus. Thank you for being so good and so kind and so faithful. Lord, What happened in Acts is is truly remarkable, and, and we have reason to believe that the same power available to the early church is a power that's available to us today. Lord, help us to see that and apply it and practice it and understand it like we've never understood it before. Thanks for all the things we have in Christ. Thank you for just being our God and calling us your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face to you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. 1230, Small Group 101. For anyone that wants to come out and hear more about small groups and foundational stuff about small groups. Love you guys. See you soon. Bye-bye.